And welcome into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, John Neighbors. I am also the host of The Morning Rush, which you can catch every weekday morning from 6 to 9 on ESPN Arkansas. You can also check out our website at hitthatline.com for all types of great interviews, podcast articles, videos, whatever it is dealing with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Be sure to check it out at hitthatline.com. I'm going to be joined by Matt Moscona to catch up and talk a little bit about Arkansas and LSU basketball going on this Saturday in Bud Walton Arena. We'll also get into some nonsense in the podcast. But I do want to start out with discussing this whole transfer portal thing in college football once again because it seems like it's the the, all the new craze that everyone's talking about. And every single day, a new quarterback, a new player of note, somebody gets added into this quote-unquote transfer portal. And it's essentially a new name for free agents agency when it comes to college football because a player just puts their name in there if they are interested in transferring and then coaches and and other programs have access to that portal to which once that opens up and once the name goes in there they are free to contact that player and to see if they can recruit them to come to their school now more and more quarterbacks are getting added into this transfer portal and it seems like more and more transfers are happening due to the new rules and redshirting due to the way that college football has begun and due to just how things are going across the board in all of college athletics and one of the things that uh, has been brought to my attention and something that we have discussed many times on my show is dealing with how this affects college football and is it better for the players and better for the product all around because there's so many times that you have to try to distinguish in these transfers whether or not a player is leaving his original school because of unfairness because of coaching changes or promises not kept there could be a few of those things or is it a player that's leaving just because they didn't get their way. They think that they're better than what they really are. They didn't want to put in the work. They didn't want to compete for a job. And so, therefore, they're going to transfer out to some place where they can start right away without actually having to do the hard work. And I think both of these things can be true in college football. And it seems like everybody just wants to lean on one issue or the other. If you're transferring out of a program, that means you're a quitter. Or if you're transferring out of a program, you have the right to do so and nobody has a right to question you otherwise and to question your motives. You're a player that's not getting paid. You should be able to do what you want. And I can I can see both sides of it. But the problem that it seems to be running into when it comes to these transfers is that there's really no way to police what you're trying to accomplish. You don't really know what the indications are, what the reasonings or the reasons behind a lot of these players wanting to go somewhere new. It could be something as innocent as just wanting a new opportunity, as we saw with Kyler Murray and with Baker Mayfield before that, with a guy like Ryan Mallett when he came to Arkansas. The situation that they were in was a toxic one at their original school, or at least not a good one, so they decided to move on and they became better for it. But then there's other times, like you see, for instance, with Kelly Bryant, where he left Clemson because he was benched for a player that was much more superior than him, Instead of trying to beat him out and instead of trying to get to do it the right way, he essentially just left in the middle of the season, started taking visits in the middle of the season and didn't really care about anything else, just wanted to go someplace where he could play right away, which now ends up being apparently Missouri. So it can be a problematic issue in college football. And I'm hoping that this is the worst it's going to get, although I doubt it will be. The NCAA has to get in front of this thing and they have to be able to find some way to distinguish these players and to give them the right of when they want to transfer, how they want to transfer, and the reasons behind their transferring. I think it would be a terrible precedent, for instance. Justin Fields, he's the transfer quarterback coming out of Georgia. He is transferring to Ohio State. 
Well, there has been some rumors and some reports that the NCAA may grant him immediate eligibility because if you remember the story about him is that he was called reportedly a racial slur by one of the members of the Georgia baseball team during the game. Now, as terrible as that is, as that story and that player ended up getting kicked off the team and kicked out of school, and rightfully so, there's no, there's no reason, there's no uh, nothing, never a good thing to do something like that, and you have to pay the consequences for it. I don't know if you want to set a precedent in being able to let somebody transfer and be immediately eligible just because someone called them a name. You have to be able to make sure that you are doing it in the right reason and making it best for not only the players but for the universities involved. For some reason, we've gotten into this land and into this era where nobody cares about the university, nobody cares about the coaches because they're like, hey, they make millions, they don't, no one cares. Listen, just because you make money, just because you make money on the product, and just because that money is going into other things like facilities and classrooms and scholarships and all of that great stuff, just because those things are happening doesn't mean that you get to be treated like crap. Doesn't mean you can't have a say in what's going on. Doesn't mean that you are never the victim in some of these crimes. But for whatever reason, people think it's all about the players and should always be about the players, which I believe, in my opinion, it should be to a certain extent. But at the same time, the schools have to be held responsible, too. They have to have, if someone, for instance, an 18-year-old kid gives them the commitment, then they should be held, then that penalty should stand for them having to transfer and sit out for at least one year. Because you gave them a commitment, you broke that commitment, and you left. Well, players don't get paid for it. They get they get a scholarship, and they know that going in. No one's forcing them to go to these schools. No one's forcing them to go and play football. No one's forcing that is the easiest and best way to get into the NFL for sure. But no one's forcing them to do anything. If they want to go and play, they, they can go up to the Canada League. They can go to the CFL. They can go to Arena Football. They can go those routes if they don't want to go to school and get paid for it. And I'm sure those leagues would gladly welcome them. But they're not going to get the elite coaching. They're not going to get the elite exposure. And they're not going to get all the benefits that come along with it. So you can't have it both ways you got to be able to find some sort of balance and some sort of way to make everybody benefit the most from it all instead of just throwing it out to where it's all about the players and schools and coaches be damned. That's not the way it needs to be. You need to have everybody protected. Now, that doesn't mean also coaches shouldn't be held responsible, too. I feel like there might be or at least should be some type of extra penalty if they end up leaving. Well, let me rephrase that. In contracts, there will always be stipulations and reasons for why they should, if they end up leaving, whether it's buyouts or clauses or whatever, that's what needs to be make sure that they're upheld if they quit and leave. But these people that come around and saying, well, players leave, they have to sit out of here, but when coaches leave, they have no penalty. Well, first off, they're professionals, they're adults, and they have a job. It's employment. So they do have penalties. They get hit with buyouts. And they have to pay off that buyout. There is a penalty for it. And the unfortunate part of the business is that the kids get left behind. But the kids, it's not like they lose their scholarship. They don't lose what they, they lose the commitment from the coach. I get it. That's a, kind of the nasty part of the business. But I think it's a very lame excuse to bring up, well, if coaches transfer jobs, then players should be able to transfer schools with no questions asked, no problems at all. And I don't think you can even distinguish the two. And I don't think anyone should. So I say all that just to say this, that what Arkansas specifically is looking for a quarterback, which there's a lot of quarterback in these transfers and this transfer portal, they have to make sure they get the right one. 
Not that it's the best one, but the right one. Someone who has the right attitude, someone that's actually going to come in and work, and someone's not, not going to take it for granted. Because the last thing you want to do is you have all these quarterbacks leaving your university. You want to go a different direction instead of going with the guys that you have on campus right now. You want to go with somebody that you feel like will be able to elevate your game. And then when they get on campus, their attitude, their behavior, or everything else that go along with it is not as good as what you originally thought. And then you end up being even further behind the eight ball because you didn't go with the guys that were on your campus. Be very careful, Chad Morris, if you're going to select a quarterback. Make sure it's not only just the best guy, but the right guy for the job. You are locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. Right now, let's go to the phone lines as we welcome in Matt Moscona. He's the host of After Further Review, weekdays from 3 to 6 on ESPN Baton Rouge and in New Orleans. Talk a little bit about Arkansas LSU coming up this week and this Saturday, actually, in Bud Walton Arena. Matt, really appreciate you joining us this morning, man. How you doing? What's up, gents? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Uh, we're doing awesome. In fact, we've been <laughs> trying to figure out uh, a lot about this Razorback basketball team where they just had an, a, a, one of the worst performances mm. we've ever seen, one of the worst basketball games we've ever seen mm. against Florida on Wednesday night, and we're still trying to figure it out and trying to bounce back. Well, they welcome in LSU, and just looking at LSU so far this season, Matt, they're 11-3, and 1-0 and in conference play. Their losses have seemed to be against some really good teams, really close losses as well. Just from what your expectation was with this team going in and what they've been able to do so far, how do you feel about this team, and have they overachieved, underachieved? What's your thoughts on it so far? Probably about what everybody expected. Um, remember, they signed a consensus top five class in the country this year, so it's it's kind of a new uh, feeling for LSU basketball where you, you kind of have that Kentucky vibe where you got a bunch of guys that might be one-and-dones on this roster, and so Will Wade's trying to piece it together and maximize a bunch of new players. I mean, essentially you had almost an entire roster turnover. You really only have two guys back that were contributors a year ago with uh, Skylar Mays and Tremont Waters. Um, So disappointing loss to Florida State in Orlando. I mean, John, they had that game won. The LSU dominated a really good veteran tournament experience team for 37 minutes and just gagged it away at the end. They had a double-digit lead on the road at Houston in the second half. Same thing. They just couldn't hang on. So, I mean, they've been trying to figure out how to win some of those games against better teams. Uh, they opened up conference play against Bama and led by 19 in the second half, and Bama got it down to four within the final three minutes, but LSU was able to hang on. So, I, I think you know, the way that to summarize this team, Super talented, very long and athletic. They've got everything you want if you're constructing a team. They got shooters, they got size, they got athleticism, they've got defenders, they've got depth. Uh, they're just trying to figure out how to win and define roles and play with each other. So it's one of those teams that you kind of expect as the season goes along to keep getting better. Matt, what do you think's going on in the SEC with road teams winning so many games? Or it seems like a disproportionate amount of road victories so far in the early stages of SEC play. What do you attribute that to, the the success of road teams to this point? That none of us have a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I am so – I thought in the pre-conference I had a pretty good handle on how my pecking order in the league would go. Um, but then you have a team like Ole Miss who's void of talent, and they've got the most impressive winning conference so mm-hmm. far, you know, beating beat Auburn. Um, South Carolina, you know, Frank Martin's team, God bless, he's such a good coach, man. 
that's not a talented basketball team. Certainly nothing like the team was the Final Four a few years ago. And you know, they go down to Gainesville and win. I, I think I expected more out of Florida, and then Florida goes up to Bud Walton, which you know I've, I know we've talked about this before. It's, in my opinion, it's one of the two or three toughest venues in the league to play at. And they hold Arkansas. Was it, it was fifty nine, fifty one was the final. I mean, it's fifty seven, fifty one. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's. I mean, I just at this point. I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I don't know what to make of the league right now. The one thing I know for sure is that Tennessee is better than everyone. But then, look, Tennessee goes and blows out Georgia by 50, and then Georgia comes back and beats Vandy by 20. It just I, – whatever happens tomorrow at Bud Walton, I wouldn't be surprised. If you tell me LSU goes in and wins by 20, I wouldn't be stunned. If you tell me LSU loses by 20, I wouldn't be stunned. And if you tell me it's a, it's a, it's a one-possession game and you're in the final possession, I'm – I, that wouldn't surprise me either at this point. It's just that's the way the league's gone so far. Before we talk more about tomorrow's game with Arkansas and LSU, you, you bring up Tennessee. I want to ask you your thoughts on Tennessee, who's, like you said, been routing everybody, beating them by 30 or more in league play. How good is this team? Is this a team that's a potential one seed? How far can Rick Barnes' team go this year? God, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt they're a potential one seed. I mean, that they they might be, along with Duke, the most impressive teams I've seen in the country this year. Um, I mean, and I more than anything, what I think about when I look at Tennessee right now is I think I look at Tennessee as, and this is could obviously change, but you know, a few years back, whenever the league brought in Mike Trangisi, and there was this whole push to try to make the SEC a, a basketball conference, to make them relevant again after they only got three teams in the tournament, the, the league started scheduling better. And they started hiring better coaches. And you look at the influx of guys like Ben Howland and, and obviously you know, Rick Barnes, guys that had been had been Final Four coaches. And Rick Barnes has kind of shown the roadmap for how to build a program in the conference. And I'm curious to see if you know Tom Crean, given the time, could do the same thing at Georgia. But Tennessee's got everything, man. They 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 can shoot it. They're athletic. They're I, I would not be I. At this point, I would be surprised if they were not a one seed in the tournament. Now, I mean, we've all we've all watched the tournament enough years to know how much randomness there is when you're playing a one-game sample and upsets happen. I mean, you know, Virginia lost last year to something called UMBC as a one seed. So, I, <laughs> I, I, can they make a run? Can they be a title contender? I, I don't know all of that because there's just a certain degree of randomness whenever the the, the tournament comes around, but Tennessee looks looks really really good to me, man. I think they're going to be a tough out for anybody. Speaking with Matt Moscona, the host after further review from 3 to 6 on ESPN Baton Rouge in New Orleans. Matt, another question I have about you is something that we've gotten a lot of, and I know some of you are familiar with, is Mike Anderson. He's in his eighth year at Arkansas. Uh, he's made it to the NCAA tournament three of the past four years. This year still kind of up in the air. We're still trying to figure out this team of how good or how not good they are, so there's still a lot of season left. But what are your thoughts on Mike Anderson and the job he has done at Arkansas? Because some people feel like he's underachieved here with the Razorbacks. Yeah, you know, John, that, so that's a really interesting thing just when you talk about expectations, right? It's like if, if, a, if a coach in Baton Rouge went to the NCAA tournament three or four years, like uh, people would, would be pumped. But, and I was, I was actually talking with somebody like this morning about this very thing with, Andrew, with Mike Anderson because of the expectations of Arkansas fans. And it's just, it's, it's an odd thing, but I, I kind of dig it because even though Arkansas hasn't won a national title, and I mean, it, it's, 94, so it's been 20, it's 25 years. I mean, 
it still feels like, all right, that's the expectation, is to be nationally relevant and competitive on that level. And I, I actually respect that a ton because it's like, if that's not your expectation, then what are you playing for? So the thing with Mike Anderson is, like, they've been super patient with him. I don't – I'd lean on you guys more to tell me, you know, what the pulse is around around the program and if they can get back. I just don't at, – at some point you've got to be able to make hay in the tournament. It, like, it's, it's good enough to win a bunch of games. If you want a football analogy, it's kind of like what Les Miles have been doing. Man, all right, you're winning nine games every year, but you're winning ten games, nine games, but are, are, are you really competing – to, to get to the upper echelon anymore. And that ultimately is what drove him out of town here. But it just goes to show you sort of the contrast in, in expectations, man, because like you said, three out of four years in the big dance, man, if LSU did that, they might be throwing parades around here. Yeah, and I think another thing that goes into that, Matt, and this is something that a lot of people don't even realize, but this is what makes Razorback fans in the state that they're in in the basketball program. Every single team in the SEC, all other 13 teams in the SEC, have made the Sweet 16 since Arkansas last did. Arkansas has not made it since 1996. And I think that, that yeah, and it, it just when you think about it, and when we break it down like that, I think that's where the frustration comes from is it's like, yeah, Arkansas has some, made it to the tournament stuff, but as far as that next level success, it's been 20 years, 22 years since they've had it, and I feel like that's where a lot of the people come from with their expectation why they feel it needs to be better than what it has been. So, I mean, is it a thing where – I, I get it, man, but I, again, it's, it just goes back to what, what the fan base expectation is. Mm-hmm. Eight years feels like a super patient time, especially in this day and age of, of intercollegiate athletics. And I, and I get it, man, because it's not just sometimes that you lose, it's, it's how you lose as well that makes you feel like if you're, you're competitive. Like the, the game the other night against Florida, I didn't see that coming, man, for, mm-hmm. for Arkansas. Not on their home floor, man. I've, I, I, I say this on my show a lot. I always, I always worry about LSU going to Bud Walton Arena and going to Coleman Coliseum. For whatever reason, those are two places where LSU has struggled a lot. Like, whenever we talk baseball, for whatever reason, LSU's dominated Arkansas in baseball. And sometimes things like that happen. But going, going back, like, to – go back, to like, to this team, though, I – Y'all, you can tell, guys. Like, I'm just, I'm at a loss right now, well, man. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, thought I had a good handle on the SEC coming into conference play, and I just, I wouldn't be surprised at, at anything we see tomorrow or, or moving forward, man. It's, um, it's, it's perplexing right now. Like, do, do y'all, do you feel like you have a good handle on what's going to happen tomorrow? No. Well, not Here's, at all. I don't. Did, did you watch that abysmal performance by both teams the other night? Some of it. God bless yeah. you. Uh, Daniel Gafford only touched the ball four times, made three of four shots. Here's what I do expect, a real effort by Arkansas to get the only player on the Arkansas roster that's got a, you know, a chance, as it appears today, to play in the NBA, the ball. So that will be an interesting thing to see is do the guards get him the ball, and how does LSU stop that? Well, I can tell you what LSU did the other night with with uh, against Alabama is that became a game for Cavell Bigby Williams. That's a name a lot of people probably don't know, but he was in he's an Oregon transfer and he is a monster in the lane. He's super long and athletic at six eleven. He's not a big scoring threat, but he has what LSU has lacked for some time now, and that's someone who can truly affect the shot at the rim. He finished with fourteen points, thirteen boards, and five blocks the other night against Bama. So if if you're trying 
it's interesting because if, if you have slashers that are trying to get to the goal, he's going to affect shots. But if you need someone just to be muscle in the paint, you're probably going to look at a guy like like Naz Reed, who's, a, who's one of those five-star freshmen we talked about. I don't know if you all have seen him play, but he's been hot or cold, man. Um, maybe 6'10", 250, and he's carved out of stone. Soft hands, he can step out and shoot a three, but he's kind of learning how to play around the basket because you kind of get the sense he was able to freelance as much as he wanted to in high school. So LSU's got some guys that can create matchup problems. Um, figuring out how all the pieces fit together has been the tough part so far for Will Wade. All right, last one before we let you get out of here, Matt. It's more of a fun one. Is this the year for the Saints? Are they going to win it all? They've looked really impressive. Is this the year that Drew Brees is going to get it? Of course. Oh, okay. it's, I mean, this is when they beat when they beat Pittsburgh. It, it was over, John, because all they had to do was win. I'm sorry, when they beat Carolina on Monday night, yeah. it was over because all they had to do was win one of their final two in the Dome to get the, the one seed. Eight of the last nine years, the one seed in the NFC has gone to the Super Bowl. Um, the Saints have already beat the Eagles 48-7. to They'll beat them this weekend. Uh, they'll probably play the Rams, a team they've already beaten. They'll get that game in the Dome. They'll win that. They'll go to Atlanta and play in the stadium where they play every single year against a team from the NFC that's not going to match up well. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to win the Super Bowl. I've, I've tried to tell my audience this for a month, and they keep freaking out over Nick Foles and some kind of voodoo magic that people are all concerned about. And the reality is I'll take Drew Brees and a playoff veteran team and all that talent over voodoo yeah. or mojo. Like I, I ask people to give me a concrete reason why the Eagles could beat the Saints, and all I hear is, boy, Nick Foles, he's just streaky, but he's hot. It's just something about him. There's just nothing concrete. And it's it's because the Saints are a better team, and it's they're the best team in the NFL. And it's it's a weird it's a weird feeling when you're not used to saying that. But but the Saints are the best team in the NFL, and they're going to win the Super Bowl. No, they certainly have so did, and I know a lot of people are going to be rooting for him here in the state of Arkansas. That is for sure. Matt Moscona, host of After Further Review, weekdays from three to six on ESPN Baton Rouge in New Orleans. Really appreciate you joining us as always, Matt. Have fun this weekend, man. We'll catch you with you later down the road. All right, guys. Be well. Thanks. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. Well, appreciate everybody listening into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Google Play. You can also hit us up on Spotify. We're also on TuneIn, Stitcher, whatever it is. However, you can listen to podcasts. We are on it. You can also hit me up on Twitter for any questions, comments, concerns that you may have at Rush John Neighbors. Same podcast show, same podcast channel next Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will see you then. Locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast.